This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And the question is, how did we go from the end of verse 7 of the foreman talking with Boaz to the start of verse 8 of Boaz talking to Ruth? It's simple. Boaz left the foreman and sought out Ruth to talk with her. So between verses 7 and 8, Boaz is going out into the field to find Ruth, and the tide of suffering never would have changed for Ruth had not Boaz left his foreman and said, okay, I got enough information. Now I'm going now to find Ruth. And Ruth never would have approached Boaz. No, Ruth wouldn't have done that because Ruth was so impressed as she said in verse 13, I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. So Ruth, Ruth, Ruth never would have gone to Boaz. Ruth's destiny was dependent on Boaz's seeking Ruth. I mean, what a meaningful picture that is for us. I mean, there we were, hopelessly lost in our sins, pitifully imprisoned into our own sinful desires, repulsively defiled by our own sins, desperately damned by our own sins. And for us, there was only one hope that we have. There was no, there's no no glimmer of thought in our minds, well, I'll just go to God. As it says in Romans 10.6, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend up into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. You know, in our state, it would have been absolutely absurd for us to think we can ascend to heaven to bring the Lord Jesus Christ down here to earth. Can you imagine such a ridiculous scene as us going to heaven and we get there to the gate and they say, why are you here? And we say, I'm here to ask God, the son, if he'd come down here to earth and become a sinless man and die for my sins. That's why I'm here. <laughs> and the gatekeeper would tell us, leave, go away, never come back here again. We'd be hopelessly lost forever. And even if the gatekeeper, he said to us, he said to us, okay, 
you can come in, you can ask him yourself. And if we were to somehow come into the throne of God the Son and see him in all of his glory as God and his majesty and his holiness and his beauty, and he would say to us, well, what's, what, what, what's your request? I mean, could we really say to him, I would like, I would really like for you to descend from your throne. I want you to set aside all your glory and your power and your majesty, and I want you to become a man like me, and I want you to become a servant to men, and then I want you an ultimate servant. I would like for you to take all my sins on you and slowly be tortured to death for my sins. Now, I understand you will have done no sin, but I want you to suffer the, all that my sins deserve. Will you do that for me? Can you imagine? Everyone in heaven would be shocked. Such a request. Most of all, God the Father was pleased, so pleased with God the Son, and he delights in God the Son. I mean, those kind of scenes are unthinkable. We can't even think of something like that. I mean, that's why Paul says, don't even say those things in your heart. Say not within thy heart. I'll ascend up to heaven to bring Christ down. So don't think those things in Romans 10, 6. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Those thoughts never came from our hearts. Those thoughts came from the heart of God. As it says in John 3, 16, it was God who took the initiative and he so loved us that he gave, he gave his only begotten son so whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's speaking of the love of God the Father. See, he's the he in Romans 8.32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? See, that was God the Father's decision to send. And it was God's decision to come to us, motivated by love for us, not our love to him, in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Here's the definition of love. Not that we loved God. Don't even think about that. But that he loved us and sent his son into the son to be the propitiation for our sins. When God the Father in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to come to earth to die for us, that's where we see the love of God the Father. When we see the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth to die for us, we don't see our love for God. We see his love for us. But when the Lord Jesus Christ accepted that mission, because it was a mission, it was given to him by God the Father, he didn't come with a warm obedience toward the Father who sent him and a cold attitude toward us, which he could have. He didn't come with an attitude of a, well, I'm going to die because I love the Father and I want to obey the Father. But I really don't care for man I'm dying for. I just have to do it because I was asked to do it, and I love the Father, and I have to do this. Yeah, this is really great. This is really great. Man sins, let me see how this works. Man sins against God. God the Father loves man. God the Father sends me to die for man. How's that good? Great. Man sins, the Father loves, I die. That's a great deal. Somehow I got the wrong end of this. Man sins, God the Father loves, and, and I suffer and die. How'd that work? That sequence doesn't seem fair. Man sins, God loves, I die. You might have just said something like, you know, boy, I can't wait till I get to earth. I'll show man how much I think of them sinning and having, to, having me to die because the Father sent me. None of that attitude. 
was in the Lord Jesus Christ. None. The Lord Jesus Christ not only obeyed outwardly, but he obeyed inwardly from his heart when he obeyed God the Father who gave his only begotten son because the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ was so perfect that he adopted the loving heart of God the Father and he proved it when he said in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. See, when he said that, it's important to see what he did not say. See, when he said, he did not say Greater love hath no one than this, that a man give the life of his only begotten son to be laid down for his friends. If he had said that, he would have been talking about the love of God the Father. And he might have said something like this, God the Father really loves you because I know how much he really loves you. For him to give my life for you shows me how much he really loves you. Don't ask about what I think about you. You know, and that, you're the one who caused me all this loss and the pain and the suffering and the humiliation and the death. See, he wasn't talking about the love of God the Father. You see, when he said in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, he's talking about his own personal love. His own personal love. This was in John 15 when he said that. And John 15 is past John 3. And earlier in John 3, he told everyone that God the Father loved the world, that he sent him to die for his sins. But now, later, in John 15, 13, he's saying, I'm not talking to you about the love of God the Father and giving me to die for your sins. Now I'm talking to you about my personal love for you to die for your sins. And later, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he saw his own personal will and the will of the Father, when he said, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine, two wills, be done. In that scene, we got to see the, the will of the Lord Jesus Christ and the will of God the Father. And we have one of these scenes right here when he says in John 15, 3, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. What a statement. We see how he had the same love of God the Father for us that had separated himself from life by his own sin. And man, we, we separate ourselves from life by our own sin. And what we see in the statement of what he meant in John 8, 29, where he said, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. When we read that he said, I do always those things that please him, that could easily lead us to conclude obedience is just what he had to do. See? But when he said in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, he was doing those things that please the Father. But it's very important to see also what he didn't say in John 15, 13. What he didn't say, he didn't say, greater obedience hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. See, if he had said that, then he would have put the focus on his obedience, his own personal obedience. And he would have said, well, that's in keeping with what he said in John 8, 29. I do always those things that please the Father, please him. And we would have said, amen. But he said, did all those things that please the Father. And the Father was pleased when he laid down his life for us. So he was doing all those things that please the Father, amen. But that's not what he said in John 15, 13. He didn't say greater obedience hath no man than this. He said greater love. Greater love hath no man than this, which shows that for him, the doing was not just outward. The doing was an inward. The laying down of his life was not just the outward obedience of doing it. The loving those 
who he had laid down his life for, that was the inward obedience of all that. When we see that, when we see that come together, then we say, bingo, we got it. We can see it. We see what it really means to obey God because it's not just outward doing. It's an inward doing his will. See, God orders us. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature in Mark 16, 15. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But when we preach the gospel, then we are outwardly obeying God. But that's not complete obedience. That's the outward obedience. But there's an inward obedience to that. What's that? That's Romans 9, 3, where Paul says, I could wish myself were accursed. I could wish my personal self were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What? I thought all Paul had to do was obey the gospel and go preach the gospel. What's all this wishing you'd be accursed from Christ for? Isn't that carrying it a little too far, Paul? No. That's a picture of Paul's inward obedience to the gospel call. That's what it means when it says you have, in Romans 6, 17, Romans 6, 17, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. See, when the Lord died for our sins, he obeyed from his flesh. When he loved the people he died for, he obeyed from his heart. And if we don't commit adultery, that's an outward obedience from the flesh. But if we don't look on a woman to lust after her, that's an inward obedience from the heart. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he had this complete obedience because he both had an outward obedience from his flesh and he had an inward obedience from his heart. And that's what God requires of us, both. Which is why he, Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Deuteronomy 36, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, thou mayest live. Circumcise thine heart? What? How's that done? How's that work? I understand how to circumcise the flesh. You call the moil, it comes with the wooden box, like my grandfather, very sharp knife, and he will circumcise the flesh. But who do you call when you want to circumcise the heart? What's he going to come with to circumcise the heart? In Ezekiel 44, 9, it says, Thus saith the Lord God, no stranger uncircumcised in heart nor uncircumcised in flesh shall enter into my sanctuary. Two, two. Or any strangers among the children of Israel. Uncircumcised in heart, that's inner obedience. Uncircumcised in flesh, that's outward obedience. That's what it means when it says in Romans 2.28, he's not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he's a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. So we've seen how the Lord Jesus Christ obeyed from the heart the command of God to go into the world and die for, to save sinners. That's what made the difference in the Lord Jesus that made him so perfect was that he embraced inwardly that same love of the Father that motivated the Father to send him in the first place. And there's something that we see in what the Lord Jesus Christ did, and he tells us how much he embraced this love that motivated the Father to send him is because if the Lord Jesus resented or despised that he was sent for something he didn't do, he never would have seen himself as privileged. And he, he saw himself that way. He says he despised the shame in Hebrews 12 too, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, or he could even say the privilege of the joy that was set before him. What joy? 
bringing many sons to glory. He endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. He despised the shame. He never despised that he was sent into that shame. He never despised that he was sent to atone for that sin. He spoke of being sent as a privilege. He spoke of himself as being sent like a badge of honor that he wore. I am happy to be sent by God. Just think of how he wore that title, that badge of honor there, as he was sent by the Father. And he said in Luke 4, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised. In John 5, 23, he said, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. He loved that title. I'm sent by God. Then John 6, 44, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I'll raise him up the last day. In John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Every time he says this, you can see him polishing off that badge sent by God. In John 8, 29, he that sent me is with me. The Father did not let me alone. John 8, 42, Jesus said unto him, if you were of the Father, you'd love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. It was a captivating thought for him. It was a thought that he loved. And when others saw the Lord Jesus, that's what they saw. He was sent from God. As Nicodemus said when he came to him by night in John 3, 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher. Come from God. For no man can do these miracles as thou doest except God be with him. And when Ruth saw Boaz coming to her, she knew that was the decision of Boaz. And there was no way that she would have or even could have spoken to Boaz unless he first decided to come and speak to her, which he did. We can't imagine what it was like for Ruth to see Boaz coming to her. Can you imagine? Is it really him? He's coming to me? And when Boaz spoke to her, her whole life changed. Everything changed in her life from a life of destruction to a new life of building. We can't imagine how those first words that Ruth heard, it changed her whole life from darkness to light. Everything changed with Ruth when she heard the voice of Boaz speaking to her. And here we see ourselves in that scene. Because when we heard the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible speaking to us, all of a sudden, the Bible went from just being a religious book to being coming the word of God to us, sent to us. Everything changed for us when we heard in our souls the voice of God speaking to us through the Bible. What a difference. Just words meant to Ruth when she heard the words of Boaz. And what a difference just words meant to us when we heard the Lord Jesus Christ speaking through the book. And what words did Ruth hear? What did she hear from Boaz? Words she'd never heard before. Promises. Promises. See, that's what he said. He's got like, promises is what he came with. Promise how she's going to be taken care of. She's going to be taken care of with a safe place to work, with food to eat, with water to drink, as in verse 9. And what words did we hear from God in Isaiah 45, 22? Look unto me, be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. I'm God, none else. Promises to be cared for in salvation. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. 
I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Promises to be cared for securely. John 3.16, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 6.47, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. 1 John 2.25, this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. Promise to be cared for with eternal life. John 6, 40, this is the will of him that sent me. Everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I'll raise him up at the last day. Promise to be cared for by being raised up out of our graves. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said unto her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Promise to be cared for by being brought right through death into life. John 5, 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Promise to be cared for by being passed right out of condemnation and death into life. John 6, 35, Jesus said unto him, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Promise to never again experience soul hunger. Never again experience soul thirst. He that believeth in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, John 7, 38. Promise to be cared for by being given a life purpose of giving others the word of life. 1 Samuel 2, 9, he will keep the feet of his saints. Psalm 37, 28, the Lord loveth judgment, forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. Jude 1, 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What are these? Promises to be cared for with protection and with preservation. John 14, 12, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Promise to be cared for by given a life purpose, a purpose in life, a real purpose in life of doing the works of God. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness, be with content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Promise to be cared for with the presence of God that he'll never leave us or abandon us. First Thessalonians 4.17, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Promise to be with God forever. Ruth's life was changed when she heard and believed these promises that Boaz made to her, just as our life was changed when we heard and believed the promises that the Lord Jesus Christ made to us. Ruth's life was changed when she heard and she believed promises. That's the same with us. And we can't imagine what it was like for Ruth to hear these words from Boaz. I mean, here was one of the people of God speaking to her, things she never heard before. When you look at verse 12, she's been hearing about being paid back by God, being rewarded by God, about something about an overshadowing, protecting wings of God. She's not being spoken down to by Boaz. She's being addressed by Boaz as an equal. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.